the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. Well, good afternoon, folks. It's John DePietro on this Monday, November 1st. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our program is brought to you by JKL Engineering. Now, listen, the heating season is here. Let JKL design and install a natural gas high-efficiency carrier infinity system. They're licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. What about this? They can reduce your oil bill by as much as 90%. Highest rebates in the market. They also do new installation and replacement of high-efficiency gas boilers. Call JKL Engineering today. Estimates are free. Financing is available. 401-351-7600. 401-351-7600. They do it right. They do it right the first time. Call JKL Engineering today. 401-351-7600 for JKL Engineering. Well, folks, good afternoon on this Monday. And um, the big story is nation I, I, across the um, around the world is that President Biden fell asleep at this uh, climate summit. And it listen, it's embarrassing. It's understandable. Listen, heavy travel. And he's going to be 79 this month. But you're the president of the United States. You can't be falling asleep and things like that. When 70, 71% of the country feel that things are headed in the wrong direction. Now, I want to play yesterday on Face the Nation. Commerce Secretary, former Governor of Rhode Island, Gina Raimondo. Folks, let's listen to it right here on the John DePietro Show. Um, We have all of these bottlenecks. Why haven't the ports, why haven't the truckers, why hasn't this become unstuck? Yeah. Uh, Good morning. So this is, as you say, a top issue for Americans. It's a complicated issue. I mean, last year during COVID, we shut our economy down. You know, I was the governor at the time. We shut down Rhode Island's economy. We have never seen that before. So that meant factories closed, Mm -hmm. people went home. You can't just turn the economy back on overnight. So it takes a little bit of time. I will say we are making progress. You know, due to the president's leadership, we now have the ports open 24-7 in the two largest and busiest ports. So there are reports that those, while the president announced the 24-7 opening that that's not actually happening out in California, that there's still backups. Business community has been complaining about that. There are backups. And as I said, this isn't something that can be fixed overnight. But the important thing is, you know, fundamentally, supply chains and logistics are run by the private sector. You know, people say to me, will Christmas gifts be delivered? To which I say, call FedEx. You know, that that isn't what the government does. What we are doing, and the president is committed to this, we're using every tool in our toolbox to be supportive, to help, to unstick the ports. Uh, An area that I am very focused on is the semiconductor shortage. We are leaning forward into that, increasing transparency in the semiconductor supply chain to make sure that we do everything possible. But this is a direct result of COVID. It is temporary, and we are working every day to unstick these supply chains. Let me ask you about what you just brought up regarding a shortage you say the government does need to do something about here. Um, The tech companies are really worried about these long-term supply chain issues. Apple sits $6 billion in lost sales because they can't get goods in time here. So in what the president just put forward and Build Back Better, this framework, Uh. it has money set aside, uh, manufacturing credit for chip production. 
what does this actually do? How quickly does this fix things? And do we need a mandate for domestic production? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, America invented the semiconductor industry. We started that industry right here. At one point in time, we made in America. You know, that business that we needed to consume. That business. But over time. Oh, over hold on. Several decades. Why won't I let me pause? This business, folks, of call FedEx. Listen, you're the you're the United States government, and if if that is the case, then why are you even involved with this? If 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 the the bottleneck chain, you know that that has nothing to do with us. Then what, why are you claiming that you're going to solve the problem? And again, folks, where she is being disingenuous is the Biden administration won't let a lot of the companies. Backlogged at the ports, hire non-union workers. So she's not even being, she's being very disingenuous. Call FedEx. You know, they act like we will do everything and handle everything unless things aren't going well. All right, let it continue. Left our shores Mm -hmm. in search of cheap labor in Asia. Now we find ourselves uh, extremely vulnerable. And so what the president is saying is we ought to get back into the business of making chips in America, which will, of course, create jobs. How quickly? Well, Congress needs to act. You know, this is a fund that will come to the Department of Commerce. It's a $52 billion uh, set of incentives to rebuild the domestic supply here. The day after Congress passes this, it can come to us and we can get to work. Are you... Just to button that up, are you mandating domestic production? We're are not you close man- to that. No, we're not mandating. No, we're not mandating. Because domestic a prominent production. Republican senator, I'm sure you read an op-ed had something to that point this week. What Joshua. we're doing is we are working in partnership with industry to incentivize domestic production. Right? We want to make chips in America, so we are incentivizing companies to do that, creating jobs. Every step of the way. Uh, one of the things that you do hear complaints from from retailers, from other uh, people in the business sector, is that the vaccine mandate not a problem. The mandate per se, but claims that putting it in place at this time, around the Christmas season, will back everything up. That right. they might have labor shortages. Yes. Uh, as it comes to rolling this out, the That's White right. House, Jeff Signs. The vaccines are, so to speak, uh, said there's some flexibility around these deadlines, that that they're not uh, a cliff and the rules are being finalized soon. How soon do you need to push this off until after Christmas? No, I think that would be a big mistake. People want to work in a workplace where they feel safe. Oh, God. You see, you know, United Airlines, that was among the first to do the mandate. Their number of folks applying for jobs is through the roof. The best thing we can do to get people back to work is to make sure everybody's vaccinated. Right. So, but can you push that till after Christmas? You, you announced the mistake. rules. It would be a mistake. Wow. You, you see, in the third quarter, you know, this year we're on path to have the strongest GDP growth in decades. We had a blip in the third quarter. Why? Delta Delta variant. The quicker everyone gets vaccinated, the better our economy will be. Up back on track, the quicker everybody gets back to work. I want to ask you about the president's framework agenda here. The U.S. is, as you know, because you're passionate about this, paid family leave. We don't have it in this country. The president promised it was coming. It's not in this framework. That was a concession he made. You have said this is so essential to getting the economy going. How disappointed are you that was just given up? 
I am unbelievably excited that we are on the precipice ah. of passing the most significant piece of domestic legislation in 50 years. Public pre-K, broadband for every American, massive investments in child care. As a woman, as a working mother, I know how essential this is. But you, know, you said paid leave was essential to get paid women leave back is into essential the workplace, too, and that's we will, not in this. We will continue to fight for that. You know, no, I don't think uh, anyone ever expected the president fighting. would pass his entire domestic agenda in the first 10 months. It looks like he's trying to pass most of his domestic and, agenda in the first 10 months, and this is not in it. This is not That's in right. it. So the argument, though, throughout this from Democrats has been, if not now, when? This That's is a unique right. historic opportunity. It yes. has to go all now in this big bill. And this is something you were so passionate about. That's right. And I am still passionate about it. And but this is not going to but happen. But it's not going to happen. majority, is it? I don't believe that's going to happen. Again, the president's package, which which we believe will be passed very soon, probably, hopefully this week, provides tangible improvements to people's lives. Better roads, better bridges, better airports, broadband for everybody, child care, public pre-K. It is historic. Uh. Then we get to work continuing to fight for paid leave. You know, we're not backing away from it. It is necessary, but nor should we take away from the the monumental nature of what is in this package. Well, we will talk about the prospects for a vote with a key progressive up next. Madam Secretary, thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. Folks, again, that was uh, Rhode, former Rhode Island governor, now Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo on Face the Nation. I'm, I'm trying to remember what um, the late Rush Limbaugh had a, he used to call it something different, not face the nation. I forget what it is. But listen, the bottom line is I, I don't think it is going to pass. I don't think they are going to get this thing passed. There were some opportunities to try to. I don't think they're going to. And the more this gets delayed, by the way, with President Biden's trip, the more this gets delayed, the less chance that this will, in fact, pass because this narrow, narrow margins. But her line, the line that's getting a lot of attention is Governor Amundo saying that um, it isn't something we fixed overnight and it's a direct result of COVID and call FedEx if something isn't going to arrive on time. You like talk about passing the buck. All right, let's go to some more sound. This is uh, CNN's Ron Brownstein. Biden's sagging approval numbers are impacting Virginia's race for governor. Which this is um, happening tomorrow, by the way. Here we go. The fact that it is so close, the race in Virginia right now in a state that Joe Biden won by 10 points one year ago. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is kind of a, I think, a ghost of Christmas future moment for Democrats. I mean, Virginia, what happens in Virginia is not a guarantee of what will happen in the midterm, but it is, uh, in all likelihood, a preview of what will happen if the political environment does not improve uh, for Democrats. Uh, midterm elections are always tough for the party holding the White House. Their voters uh, are less likely to show up than the, the voters who are outside of the White House and who are fired up. But they are especially tough when the president's approval rating uh, is sagging, as Biden's is now 42 percent nationally, 43 percent in Virginia in the uh, Washington Post poll. Uh, so I think what it says is that win or lose, if McAuliffe wins narrowly or he loses narrowly, either way, it sends the same message to Democrats. That- you know, th- this whole thing, folks, and this is one of the problems that Rhode Island is so vested, and Mass for that matter, 
um, and just out of step with the rest of the country. Did Biden fall asleep during the opening speeches? He absolutely did. Oh, my God. I don't care. That is the big story of the day. Even MSNBC questions whether or not he fell asleep at the climate change uh, conference. Yes, this is the fifth day of the president's overseas tour, and he was uh, seen on camera with his eyes closed. It appears that perhaps he was dozing, and in these settings, uh, cameras are all around, and the camera caught uh, President Biden, who turned 79 later this month, uh, with his eyes closed for a period of time. And you're right, these can be embarrassing situations. You have the contrast of leaders, including President Biden, calling for the urgency of these issues of addressing climate and uh, a moment like that in a session uh, can be uh, a political uh, obstacle for a moment. Say the very least. Folks, a big story right now is what's going on in New York City, where now the mandates are taking place. um, And that is without uh, question. It is such a major story. And one of the reasons why it's such a big story is because all of the media that is centered in New York. But there's not a few. There's thousands, as a matter of fact. Thousands. Um, Let me just see this. Former President Trump was supposed to be a drag on Republicans in 2021, particularly states he lost by 10 points, Virginia or 15 New Jersey. That script could get flipped tomorrow. Biden drag haunts Democrats in Virginia. And folks, what is just, you know, in in Rhode Island, everything, as I've told you, when I go to some of these Governor McKee press briefings, um, everything is, you know, they they mentioned President Biden and we're we're following his lead and uh, so forth. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm the only one, like that's who we're following. President Biden, he, he is, I mean, and folks, this is a gift, by the way. If, if tomorrow, if New Jersey, I mean, the big one is Virginia. New Jersey, if that actually happens, that would be icing on the cake. But I can't stress enough how much things, the, the, the wheels are just falling off. If, in fact, Terry McAuliffe loses in Virginia tomorrow. It's such a major, major election. So it is neck and neck. Apparently, the now there was early voting that started. God, I hate early voting. I hate early voting. Um, let me hear. Um, this is a piece that ABC News did, Rick Klein, I believe, on just how this is a very significant election, though. All right, let me listen a little bit. It's largely seen as something of a referendum on President Biden's agenda, as well as ahead of next year's midterm elections. Former Governor Terry McAuliffe in a close race with Republican challenger Glenn Youngkin. President Biden won the state by 10 points last November. ABC's Kenneth Moten is in Arlington, Virginia. Tonight, the candidates in the Virginia governor's race crisscrossing the Commonwealth in a final sprint toward Tuesday's election day. And right now, we have a big lead in the early vote. Democrat Terry McAuliffe, a former Virginia governor, neck and neck with Republican Glenn Youngkin, a political newcomer and businessman. Are you guys ready to win or what? Uh. 
voters in the state largely concerned about education and the economy. I got big, bold plans. I'm leading on education. That's the reason why I'm running. Youngkin has vowed to increase education funding, raise teacher salaries, and do away with critical race theory. We will teach all history, but what we will not do, we will not teach our children to view everything through a lens of race and divide them into, yep. into baskets and then make them compete against one another and steal dreams. The race, a toss-up. A recent poll finding 49% of likely voters favoring McAuliffe. 48% Yunkin, no, the Republican endorsed by former President Trump, but Yunkin keeping Trump and his allies at arm's length, going solo on the trail, focusing on the critical D.C. suburbs of Northern Virginia. While McAuliffe struggling to excite voters, relying on Democratic heavy hitters, including President Biden, who won the state by 10 points in 2020, and Vice President Kamala Harris. Virginia and New Jersey are the only two states to hold their race for governor in the year after the presidential election. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy leading in his bid for re-election over Republican challenger Jack Cittarelli. But Lizzie, it's this Virginia race that's being seen as a bellwether for the nation and referendum on the Biden agenda just a year before the midterm elections. Lizzie. You know, folks, they are, as a matter of fact. And folks, again, I, I think this is... Um, this is trouble for Governor McKee, who, by all accounts, I mean, he's always, they, they talk, as I mentioned, they discuss, when I hear them mentioned, they talk about President Biden. Is, is, you would think he has an 80% approval rating. And that is uh, clearly, clearly not the case. But how about this situation in New York? 9,000 New York City workers on leave. As the vaccine mandate takes effect, 9,000 workers on leave. This is a major problem for New York City. Let's hear, um, this is a piece uh, on this. I believe we have some audio on this. We do. New York City's controversial vaccine mandate went into effect. As public workers rush to meet the deadline, the mayor says 91% have gotten the shot. As of yesterday, I wasn't planning to take it, but because of the mandate, I had to take it. Um, it was it was that or my my job. This morning, City Hall says about 10,000 workers, mostly made up of police, fire, and sanitation employees, refused the order and have been put on unpaid leave. Wow. About another 10,000 remain unvaccinated, but are being considered for medical exemptions that would allow them to work and get tested weekly. Right now, about 84% of all city cops have complied, while firefighters and paramedics' vaccine rate remains at 80%. Common sense must, must be re-injected into this policy. It's got to be revisited. We have to worry about the, the safety of the citizens first, politics later. However, despite repeated warnings from some unions about slowdowns in service, the mayor insists the city is safe and response times for 911 calls won't be impacted. Contrary to reports, a city hall spokesperson tweeted the FDNY has not had to shut down any firehouses. We need them to be healthy. So my message to all city employees who are not yet vaccinated is we care about you. We care about your health, your family's health. We care about the health of the people you serve. Well, that is is not going the way they thought it would, folks. It is not in any way. <clears throat> Folks, right now, good afternoon at 125. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. As always, folks, um, visit the website, depetro.com.
And this portion of our show is brought to you by, um, on the website, again, we have so many terrific uh, sponsors, but you want to have a great meal, you want to head over to the Coesed Inn, stop off and see them. There's a link at the website, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're open seven days a week. Rich history, the Coesed Inn. A Rhode Island tradition, whether you're just, uh, they have a great bar area as well, whether it's drinks and an appetizer or a full meal, they're waiting for you at the coincident. Uh So Labor Secretary Marty Walsh is in town. And I, I don't understand the, the, you know, the point of it, why that's significant. There's so many <clears throat> problems right now that the region is facing. This is just, you know, more of them pushing the Biden agenda which people are striking back at. Um, and it, it just seems to be going from from bad to worse. So I think it is. Um, it seems to be, folks, where he is is going to uh, think of that. The, the, it, it can't be expressed enough. Everyone is going to see this. I'm seeing a reporter saying Marty Walsh jokes and said, Secretary Mundo gave him permission to be in Rhode Island today, but he has to be out by five o'clock. Uh, he said they spoke recently and said, when was the last time commerce and labor worked together? I'm going to change that. So, you know, they can um, uh, laugh it up a little bit. So there's U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh with Governor McKee saying the reason so many workers are not back to work are lack of child care, health concerns, retirement, People looking for a better job than they had before the pandemic. You know, they don't even touch on the fact that you they paid people to stay at home. They paid people not to work. They, no one, you know, how, how do you not even mention that as one of the reasons? They come up with everything other than that. And it's just wrong. After just nine months of President Biden, 71% of all Americans and 48% of Democrats say the country's headed in the wrong direction. 60% view his handling of the economy negatively. 42% approval of his job performance. I mean, it's not even close. It is absolutely not even close. Um... But people are striking back. I think, you know, this Virginia race, folks, I really hope that this Republican challenger, Yunkin, pulls it out. And this is uh, this is the guy challenging Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, Glenn Yunkin. And on day one, we're going to declare Virginia open for business. I mean, when they say that, they mean it. Let me hear this a little bit. Equipment budgets. We're going to fund training. We're going to protect qualified immunity. It goes nowhere. We have got to fund into our mental health system. Virginia's mental health system is broken. It's been that way for eight years. We need more capacity, more professionals. And hear me very clearly on day one, I will fire the entire parole board and we will start all over again. This economy moving, it has been stalled out for too long. For the last eight years, the states around us have lapped us. Maryland, North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, they have grown 70% faster every year for eight years. 
North Carolina generated eight times the jobs that Virginia has over eight years. Tennessee, six times. We just watched Ford Motor Company lay down four plants, two in Kentucky, one in Tennessee, one in Georgia, none in Virginia. It should be right there. It's not here. 11,000 jobs skipped us. Friends, it's a legacy that Terry McAuliffe left us. You know, in my old world, if that's what the CEO left you, you wouldn't, not, you wouldn't think about rehiring them. You would fire them. This is what we would do. I mean, 32 of his 79 so-called economic development deals resulted in zero jobs. Wow. Zero. This is not growth. This is stagnation. And we yep. got to get this turned around. So on day one. On day one, we're going to declare Virginia open for business. No lockdowns, no shutdowns. We're open for business. We are going to protect our right to work in Virginia. We're going to protect it. You just watched Newsmax TV, America's fastest growing cable. You know, folks, the um, they put in the little plug at the end, which is fine. But, um, you know, think of that message compared to what we're being told locally you know right now <clears throat> wow there's the new york post has rhode island priest suspected of sharing child porn using church's internet e that's not a very good story that is not a good story um james jackson father jackson Arrested child porn found on the church internet connection. A Roman Catholic priest in Rhode Island was arrested being found child pornography at a church where he lives and serves as pastor. St. Mary's Church in Providence. Arrested Saturday. <clears throat> they found, identified child porn being shared, the internet connection. He lives at the church, taken into custody after court-authorized search warrant, executed at St. Mary's in the rectory. Whew, that's a rough story. Between that and the North Kingstown situation, I don't know what to tell you. But Biden falls asleep during the opening speeches. You know, I understand it could actually, it can happen. Um, I've, you know, I've, uh, sometimes you're tired. You've been traveling. Maybe, you know, sometimes I would, you, see, you could see people nod off a little bit if they're in, I've fallen asleep or dozed in church, but folks, the difference is, you know, he's going to be 79 this month and it just reinforces that he is simply not up for the job. I mean, that there's no other way to look at it that way. Secretary Commerce, Secretary Raimondo, you know, we're using every tool in our toolbox. This isn't a direct result of COVID. Well, actually it is. Because of the worker shortage. Um, I, I can't get enough of the, the uh, NBC. This is an NBC poll of just how poorly President Biden is doing. This isn't a Fox poll. Um, this race in Virginia, though, this race in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, parents protesting at school board meetings, I saw him on Meet the Press. He was like a maniac yesterday. I think he knows he's losing. Let me hear a little bit of uh, Democrat Terry McAuliffe. Here we go. When you think of this right now on critical race theory, Chuck, it's not taught. So all you're doing is pitting parents against parents, parents against teachers, and they're using children as political. 
Palms. I was in Hampton last night. I met a school board member. Said our school boards were fine. As soon as Glenn Youngkin got nominated, all of a sudden these people started showing up, creating such a ruckus. When you f- See, they don't want parents to go to school committee meetings. And parents are saying, you know, we do want to be at school committee meetings. Whew, man, the wheels are coming off. The wheels are coming off fast. And by the way, Rhode Island also, our friend Ramona Bessinger, now we had her on last week. As Justin Katz mentioned, she was on Tucker Carlson Friday night. So, folks, it is amazing how much, you know, Rhode Island, thank God we have people like Ramona, who was a teacher, and also Nicole Salas, who have brought attention to critical race theory being taught in the Rhode Island schools. I think we have, this is uh, her on Tucker Carlson on Friday night. Over the summer, she wrote a series of very insightful blog posts exposing her school's openly racist and divisive curriculum. For doing that, for daring to be honest, Ramona Bessinger was hauled in front of a disciplinary committee and suspended by the school district. Now, the school district claims suspension is unrelated to the blog post because, obviously, they lie. Ramona Bessinger joins us tonight. Ramona Bessinger, thank you so much uh, for coming on. So give us just a quick example of what the school district was teaching that you objected to. Well, first of all, I would just like to say that in all my years of an, as being an educator, I've never seen anything like this. And sometime around last January... Um, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books rolled into my classroom, as well as educators all in, throughout the district. And immediately, I knew something wasn't right. The 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 covers of the books were bizarre. They were cartoon-like. They were pamphlet-style, very thin. All of the books had the same sort of narrative. The um, you know the oppressor versus oppressed narrative. It was just strange. Not to mention the quality of the books. Just, you know, the rigor wasn't there. So the moment I started asking questions, the moment I started probing and asking why we were teaching, you know, these books as opposed to, oh, vetted, you know, literary material, um, boom, that was it. I was public enemy number one. Um, you know, I was every single, I could not do anything right. Everything was, uh, I, I was brought to task on absolutely everything. It was just ridiculous. And rather than sort of cower and be silenced, I decided I was going to get louder. And that is exactly what I did. I wrote, um, someone told me about this uh, political blog, Legal Insurrection. I, I emailed them and I explained that this was going on in my school. You know, there are these very strange books and this odd curriculum rolling out. And I was concerned. I didn't quite know exactly what was going on, or, uh, but by the time I wrote the blog, I had a pretty clear idea. But more importantly, it was the um, students, the reaction of the students and seeing the sort of mistrust and and the overall, um, you know, devastation I was feeling it was having on the, the, um, the students in my classroom. But, you know, I was also making connections to other teachers and students all around the country. And certainly in my own district, district we were all talking about this kind of strange um, collection of books that, that seemed to be very racially divisive. I don't like yes. to say critical race theory. I call it 
racialized uh, curriculum because that's in fact what it is. So I wrote about it in that blog and that was met with, um, you know, uh, the mob descending on me uh, when I went back to school in September uh, with some very strange um, attacks by only, uh, you know, some colleagues because God forbid you can have you can't have a you know a reasonable discourse or an argument with any of these people. Not at all. No, you know what they have to do is cower and hide and attack and make public displays. So, and then that led to my getting louder and writing yet another blog about the harassment. And uh, when I did that, then they upped the ante and involved children. You know, it's always impressive when you use um, children as uh, political shields or political weapons to fight your battles. So. Yeah, just like the Camer Rouge. I'm so grateful you pointed out that a lot of these materials, these so-called books, were stupid and badly written because they are. Because the people who write them are stupid. And no one ever says that. So oh, thank yeah. you for saying that. And, for, and, and good, yeah. good luck. Thank you for being on. Thank you. All right, folks, that was, um, and again, good afternoon. It's 139. It's Monday. It's November 1st, and you're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, depetro.com, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com, official website of you know who, where you also can get in touch with me that way. You can uh, listen. It's very, very clear. Don't forget petro.com, which is brought to you by Surplus Provisions. Look for them on Facebook, folks. Tactical gear, uh, pepper spray, everything you need to protect yourself and your family. The store is just tremendous. Surplus Provisions, Pontiac Avenue. They're one mile from Garden City in Cranston. So um, the, the big story nationally is the fact now again i know i've been talking a lot about it just because i I am really fascinated by this race in virginia and whether or not if in fact like this shows just how much biden president biden and his agenda is falling i am not exaggerating when i tell you that the biden presidency if if they lose Virginia tomorrow, I don't think, see, it's tough around here because Cicilline is so strong and Mayor, um, Congressman Langevin is so strong. But, but folks, in a lot of states, that it actually goes back and forth or you truly have seats that are up for grabs in the House and the Senate. This this will just be, you know, this will decimate next year the midterms. Then they're really not getting anything done. How about this headline? NPR poll, independents believe Democrats are a bigger threat to American democracy than Republicans. You know, that, that's huge. That's huge that it comes, comes out that way. Um, and as much as, <laughs> as, much as the, um, you know, you have President Biden falling asleep on the national stage. Just watch how many... How much that is just going to take off. Also, a trial to watch is the Kyle Rittenhouse trial begins today. Now, we will be talking about that with uh, our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Not today, but this week. But folks, that is, um, that is definitely one to watch. I want to go back to, I want to play two cuts. Commerce Secretary Ramundo. 
on Face the Nation now trying to say, you know how the government and she said, oh, we'll solve the lockjam, the supply chain nightmare on the West Coast. Instead, oh, you know, the government doesn't does that. that that's private industry. She immediately wants to beg off of that. You know, fundamentally, supply chains and logistics are run by the private sector. You know, people say to me, will Christmas gifts be delivered? To which I say, call FedEx. You know, that, that isn't what the government does. What we are doing, and the president is committed to this, we're using every tool in our toolbox to be supportive, to help, to unstick the ports. Uh, an area that I am very focused on is the semiconductor shortage. We are leaning forward into that, increasing transparency in the semiconductor supply chain to make sure that we do everything possible. But this is a direct result of COVID. It is temporary, and we are working every day to unstick these supply chains. Oh, my God. Folks, everything is talking points with her. I want to go back to, I love this exchange yesterday on the Today Show. Chuck Todd with uh, Willie Geis. Meet the press. Chuck, good morning. It's good to see you. Boy, you have a lot to talk about this morning. There's the president overseas. There's this legislation that he hopes will get through pretty soon. Massive social spending and infrastructure bills sitting in front of the Congress. Democrats want to get those through. There's a huge election day coming up in 48 hours from now, namely Virginia, with a lot of eyes on that race. And you've got a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll that you're about to roll out. We'll let you do most of that. But there was one number we wanted to highlight before we get to you and meet the press which was the wrong direction number 71 percent of the people in your poll americans think this country is headed in the wrong direction what's driving that uh it's the economy that's driving it more than anything else and i think that that is if you looked at everything about this poll and it's a terrible poll for the president i'm not gonna we can't let's not sugarcoat it it's not a good poll for the president not a good poll for the democratic party uh the only good news for democrats in there is the date it was conducted and that it's one year from the midterms it isn't now it's not now it's not a great feeling if you're terry mccollum for phil murphy the two democrats running in virginia in new jersey in this current climate but the big wet blanket on the country is this feeling that the economy is just struggling to get going prices are too high as far as people are concerned they're feeling the cost of living increase feeling the gas price increase uh, and they're not seeing a lot from washington right you throw that in there what are they seeing they're seeing a lot of infighting and by the way willie that infighting's taken a toll when you have a wrong direction that's 71 percent that's not just republicans uh, a majority of democrats think we're headed in the wrong direction and so it, it, this is you know and you look at the president's own approval numbers and you see that it's softer among progressive democrats than it is among mainstream rank and file democrats so you see where the tension points are with the president right now and it's uh, not a great place yeah and this virginia race being seen as a litmus test that is exactly right folks i can't wait to see what happens tomorrow if mcauliffe loses this is so big if mcauliffe loses the latest poll glenn youngkin skyrocketing above terry mcauliffe now also closer to home you know as i've said governor mckee seems to just be in the shadow of uh you know talking about whoa terry mcauliffe cancels event in virginia beach wow this is big mcauliffe losing is huge why is he canceling the event unless they're already giving that up that's what happens sometimes folks mcauliffe is known he has been the the um 
the governor of Virginia. Kyle Rittenhouse murder trial begins over the fatal shootings of the Kenosha protesters. All right. Good luck to Kyle. Folks, I think, how about the judge in his case saying you are not to use the word victim. The people he shot will either be described as rioters or looters. But we we will not use the word victims. You love a judge like that. And, of course, the other side is outraged over it. I don't know what to make of this. Arson investigation underway. Five fires broke out in minutes, folks, last night in Pawtucket. Three o'clock in the morning. You got to th- 245, excuse me. You got to think someone's got some video of this. Five different locations. Five fires broke out minutes in Pawtucket. Is it really just kids on Halloween doing something like that? Let me hear the Channel 12 story on this. Here we go. Joins us live in Pawtucket with the latest. Brittany, what can you tell us? Wow. Well, Gina, the state fire marshal tells us the five fires are connected and are now officially being investigated as arson. Now, Whoa. one of the fires happening here at Rick's Liquors, you can see the sign there is completely melted and part of the building is charred with siding and debris scattered on the ground. The other four fires happening in the same area of Pawtucket. Crews first responded to a fire on Sabin Street just before 3 a.m. this morning. Pawtucket Fire says they arrived to flames on the side of the building that may have spread inside. Minutes later, firefighters were called to Broadway for a fire that started next to a building. In that same area, firefighters then found a rental box truck that was smoking. A short distance away on East Street, another call came in for a fire at East Street Liquors, then another fire here at Rick's Liquors. Pawtucket Fire calling this an unusual event, but say luckily most of the damage was confined to outside of the buildings. Lee Ann Turner lives next door to where one of the fires was and says she called 911. Actually, some yeah, like two something. Mommy, the house next door is on fire. Ah. So I woke up and called. Just uh, not like because I know there's kids in the Terrible. Everybody got out when they knocked on the doors. The state's fire marshal's office is telling us that they are working with Pawtucket police to review any doorbell camera or surveillance cameras in the area. They say no injuries were reported. For now, live in Pawtucket, I'm Brittany Schaefer, 12 News. You know, so much for someone doing, uh, you know, Halloween prank, ding-dong ditch or something like that. Folks, at 148, good afternoon. It's Juan. It's the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. How about also... um, Alec Baldwin, the wife, insisted on dressing up for Halloween and then posting pictures of them with, in fact, with uh, the kids in their Halloween outfits. And they're getting getting raked over the coals on that for just completely tone deaf. I want to remind you about Henry Oil. Call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. This winter, make Henry Oil your oil provider. Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery. Fuel oil, diesel, gasoline, you can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200 and online at henryoil.com. Well, folks, good afternoon at 149. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. As I like to say, you can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. So this, um, this race in... Virginia is a big one to watch. And also, 
you know, for several different reasons. And I think it will kind of give us an indication of, of where the, the country is going um, for, for next year for those all important midterms. Also, that if the Republican can pull this out, and he seems to be in very, very good shape, he also will have successfully done this without the help of President Trump. And that's big as well. I know that President Trump is doing some kind of a tele-rally, having people do phone calls, but it's not as if he, you know, wrapped himself in the Trump blanket and, um, you know, was able to then navigate and become successful that way. So this guy is a force. I also, I really want to stress to people that it would be so important for the both Rhode Island and Massachusetts Republican Party to recognize that they were able to make education the top issue. And, you know, that that is so dominant what's happening with that. Um, let me also just check. Providence Journal, political scene, robust ecosystem of left-wing groups aim to take on the Democrat Party. The Rhode Island political cooperative has been dominating headlines on Twitter lately. Twitter beefs, just one piece of larger ecosystem left-wing groups sprung up Rhode Island over the past four years. From the outside, it can seem like these groups overlap. After all, they all share priorities like the Green New Deal, healthcare, housing, higher tax rates. But they don't always agree on how to achieve these goals. One of the major dividing lines is how to deal with the Rhode Island Democrat Party establishment. Some groups will only endorse candidates who pledge to cast what's been a Symbolic vote against the party's pick for Senate president, House Speaker, arguing the change won't be possible without new people in charge. Well, folks, this, the Rhode Island Republican Party must take advantage of the infighting that's going on right now within the Rhode Island Democrat Party. And also, you, you're seeing this play out in, in Washington as well. So right now, Biden does not seem to have um, he does not have a strong handle on the Democrat Party as far as you know having the the progressives go along with what the moderates want don't seem to be doing that right now so there seems like there was some opportunities but the the big news with all the headlines is Biden appears to nod off at climate conference. It sure seems that way. How about Democrat Governor candidate Terry McAuliffe says Virginia has too many white teachers. You know, I, I just don't think that's the type of language that you're going to win on. I have no idea whether that's true or not. Um. Let me also see this. This just in. 32% of Americans think the spending bill would hurt people like them if it became law. 25% think it would help them. Two in 10 think the bills would make no difference. Now, you heard Commerce Secretary Raimondo um, trying to say just how major and pivotal this is. 
but um, it did not. Um, that is not matching up with what the general public thinks. It just doesn't match up at all. And as I also said earlier, you know, Governor McKee, folks, he is really having a difficult time right now navigating. And the, the, the campaign hasn't even really started to flame up just yet. Where he's getting hurt is on fundraising. He's had, if these numbers hold up, now, someone sent me the um, the numbers for the, this is a big quarter that's ending right now. If if those numbers hold up, that means that Governor McKee basically only raised half of what he was trying to raise. For a sitting governor, that is not a positive development in any way. So now we'll see whether or not maybe they didn't release all of the uh, numbers that they had. But if you're trying to raise over 300000 and you only raise 151000 that's a problem. <laughs> I would say that, that that's fair to say that that's a problem when you're off that much. And as a sitting governor, he should be able to raise over 300000 If he's not able to do that. But folks, I and I had said this. I had heard, um, I had heard that a lot of people were backing off because of the number of investigations that Governor McKee's under. Here's Ted Nisi on Friday. Seth Magazine's team is working hard to show he won't be cowed by the entry of Helena folks. They raised two hundred fifty thousand during the third quarter, which be enough for him to remain the financial leader. Um, let's see. So, Helena folks starting to, has tapped Jonathan Blair, campaign manager, senior advisor to the campaign, some of these other people. But um, now he doesn't have the McKee numbers, but someone had sent me and they saw that he was only at about 150000 So, if he's getting out fundraised by Seth Magazine or by 100000 I mean, that is not, folks, a good sign. It's just not for the McKee campaign. I think, look at it, it's November 1st, so the primary, let's go through it, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. His primary is 10 months away, and I wonder when we're going to start to see some ads go up. The McKee campaign is vulnerable. They do have these... um, he still has three investigations going on right now. Providence test scores are terrible that the state took over. Um, and COVID remains a problem. And where COVID also really remains a problem, as I mentioned earlier, and again, folks, good afternoon at 157. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. The state hospital... The state hospital, Eleanor Slater Hospital, has is operating differently with the mandate than the frontline workers. And when the governor was questioned about it on Saturday, he didn't have a good answer on it. Rhode Island's own hospital, this is the Boston Globe, still can't get into compliance with COVID. Continue to allow 
unvaccinated direct care workers to work after this weekend because they failed to replace them. I mean, how, how is that fair? As of Friday, 32 direct care workers remain unvaccinated and 11 non-direct care workers were unvaccinated. So the hospital will continue to temporarily use some unvaccinated direct care workers to maintain staffing levels. How is how is that fair? And then you force the people at the rest of the frontline workers out of work. I don't. I don't understand how. And then he he didn't have a good answer when he was asked about it. Governor McKee did not. Here's another thing. World faces shortage of syringes as COVID vaccine doses rise. Good thing that we're going to have the. Uh, the injection sites starting in January. Folks, we are two months away from the state legalizing heroin, fentanyl, and meth. Rhode Island will be the first state in the country to legalize these hard drugs. Now, they can have injection centers. And I know some of the McKee people say, well, we're not legalized. Well, if you're not arresting anyone, if someone has a bag of heroin and they can walk down the street and go into the, one of these injection sites... And no one arrests them and have someone check through the heroin and say, oh, wow, that's really good pure heroin. Then they can sit down and inject it. How is that not legalizing it? Sure sounds legalized to me. Folks, it's 159. It's John DePietro. I want to thank you for listening. Enjoy this Monday. We have made it to November. There are some people, some elections, uh, some local elections tomorrow on Election Day. I want you to stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news, and then it'll be the John Dion program. We'll be doing Facebook Live later. Uh, find us on Facebook. It's John DePietro Show. And as always, visit the website, dipietro.com. WNRI, Winsocket.